This, this is Brock and Saul. 23 and 10. Oh, that's not right. 17 and 10. Excuse me. 20 and 13. 20 and 13. I just had this earlier. <laughs> On Seattle Sports Station. Where's the, the Buff Dudes at? Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming audio and video on the Seattle Sports app. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. Good morning, everybody. Hello, it's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710seattlesports.com. And the Seattle Sports app and all the podcast platforms, all of them. I got some uh, I got some podcast reviews today, if you're interested. Ooh. I do. Just a couple. They're all over the map, as you would uh, expect. Maybe I'll do those in a moment. Can you guys help me understand what the heck was going on last night on, like, Seahawks social media? They're following the team plane. Like, what is happening? What, are I we can. at that can point? You, Justin? I, it's too much. Uh, what do you th- mean it's too much? There are some people who have become uh, aviation experts, apparently, by following t- planes on private tracking websites. Right. <laughs> I don't understand. Well, so I've seen that and, before. And y- there's a lot of, like, Baker Breadman level. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Spoofing? going on like people are like oh it just got a text okay and Matt Mike McDonald and his family are on a plane from Baltimore and people are like oh really and then they jump through 20 different websites trying to find the tail numbers but it's all it's all Mike McDonald related right the ones I saw were now that the savior Ben Johnson has yes. said no in Detroit. quote unquote said no uh now it's on to the the new savior who is Mike McDonald and I'll be honest like I like kind of like Mike McDonald. I think he's an intriguing candidate. That Seahawks Twitter is so passionately in favor of him makes me a little nervous. <laughs> sure. A little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's not to say that that folks who spend a lot of their time writing and thinking about the Seahawks are necessarily wrong. And quite frankly, I love the passion. I'm not this is not necessarily supposed to be a shot at them in particular, but I I <laughs> I think they've gotten themselves caught up into something once again, and I I think it's for some of the wrong reasons. And I just I I felt like this has been the case with this group for a while, and it kind of spins right. And it was first it was let Russ cook, and Pete's ridiculous, and how dare Pete do this, and he's holding Russ back. And then we found out that all of that was just entirely untrue. I mean, I guess before that, it was, oh, there's nothing to see here with Russ. The media is making this whole thing up. Russell's fine. This is all wrong. And then eventually we found out that that wasn't true at all, that there was a huge problem with Russ behind the scenes, and nobody was making anything up. It was all very much real. So now when I see this Mike McDonald or Ben Johnson is the savior, I'm really concerned it's because of their quote-unquote modern approach to coordinating, to coordinating. Or coordinating, or coordinating. I think you might be reading too mm-hmm. much. I, I think it's just anyone but Quinn at this point. <laughs> ben Johnson's out, so now let's let's there, go on a, to the next hot. <laughs> they want someone new. I sure. mean, they haven't yet. And yeah. there's a, there's a lot of uh, influential national voices who are really in. So I think that makes other people be like, oh, they're in. I respect them, like their opinion. Now I'm in. Yeah, I, yeah. It's curious. I, I'm. I, I can't wait to see what happens. I don't really feel like I have a dog in the fight. Like any of these. Answers will be sort of interesting and exciting for me for different reasons. If they do end up going with Dan Quinn, 
at the very least, you'll be able to say they did all their homework before they got there. They talked to everybody. They looked at everything. And if they ultimately settled on Dan Quinn, I have to imagine at that point it's for the right reasons. If they do go with Mike McDonald, I have to imagine he impressed them in this final interview and that he was worth waiting for. If they go with Ajiro Avero, uh, I'm sorry, Ajiro Avero, I think I'm going to be most excited. That guy is high on my list right now because of his leadership capability and the way he has kind of a commanding presence. But if it's Mike Kafka or Patrick Graham, probably the two candidates who are least known in this process, that will tell me something too, that they are going out on a limb for somebody that they believe has such incredible leadership skills that it's worth jumping ahead of some more name brand candidates. So I I feel like we're kind of in a can't-lose situation right now, which is good. And maybe that's why they took so long to go through this process and brought so many names out there. For those that are most excited about Mike McDonald, which, again, I'm not necessarily saying you're wrong at all, I do have this fear from Mark Schlereth, who was on yesterday with Wyman and Bob, talking about a guy who used to be Mike McDonald, Steve Spagnuolo. There's some guys that that's, you know, that's kind of, quote, unquote, the Peter principle. You know, you rise to the level of your competence. And, and at least he, you know, he probably knows that. And he knows where he fits. And uh, and that's fine. I mean, he's he's great at what he does. They have done an unbelievable job with that defense. You want to talk about, you know, the offense, or excuse me, the, the defensive backfield, the coverage complementing the rush and the rush complementing the coverage. They do a great job with that stuff. And they are one of those teams that has the ability to press you, to reroute you, to you know, and to, and to hold up long enough for that rush to get there. Yeah, Steve Steve Spagnuolo is one of the best coordinators in the game, flat out. Vic Fangio for years has been one of the best coordinators in the game. Neither guy's a head coach. They're just not. They don't have that capability. Josh McDaniel, for years, has been one of the best offensive coordinators in the game. Not a head coach. He's proven that twice. Right. And and I'm not telling you that that's Mike McDonald because I have no freaking idea. But anybody who's convinced that one of these coordinators is going to be their savior because they've done a good job with a defense or an offense in another town. I'm telling you, that's not the way to make this call. And I sure hope that's not what John was doing last night when he got together. It's like it's incomplete data. It's incomplete data. I get it. You're you're judging it based on on one small data set that doesn't actually reflect the entirety of the whole thing. And by maybe he's great. But it's got to be for some different reasons. All right, you want some uh, you want some customer reviews here? Customer By the reviews. way, I like that that's what they're called. That is what they're called on Apple Podcasts. Customer <laughs> reviews for Brock and Salk. Still at a 4.6 out of 5. Oh, uh, more than 1,800 ratings so far on the uh, old podcast, which is nice. Um, let's see. I've got three for you. Uh, Boca once again, says, where's Charles? Quit pedagoguing for four hours more and Charles. just give us more Charles. <laughs> I agree. I do understand. I'm with you, man. That might be the first review that's ever mentioned anybody whose sole responsibility, I guess, is to run the board. Right? Yeah. Well, when he just kind of comes and fills in and that's runs great. Board. But he's great. And he'll usually pipe in with uh, one or two things to say whenever he's here. So hopefully either Justin or Moore will take off for a few days. At some point, Moore needs a, a vacation <laughs> after some of her mistakes the last few days. So maybe she'll head back to Iowa for a little vacay. And we'll get Charles in, in here. Today. Oh, your head's in the game. All right. Moore's head's in the game. Uh, you want a nice one? Here's a nice one. Then I'll get, I'll finish with one. That's more fun. Uh, this is a five-star review from yeet 
One six three seven three eight two six three four eight. Is that a Kraken fish reference? I assume, or or maybe just I don't. know. My kids talk about yeeting a lot. Just <laughs> yes. how it's a thing. It's a thing. But that's a lot of numbers to put after your yeet, don't you think? Yeet one six three seven eight two six three four eight. Meeting Mike Salk. It was nine years ago today that my husband walked our two little boys up to Mike Salk at Mariner Fan Fest and introduced himself. I snapped the picture of him trying not to geek out. You see, I assume it was the husband, not me. <laughs> was trying, oh, my God, you guys are here. I'm geeking out. <laughs> you see, this show is uh, one that both my husband and I have enjoyed and shared in common. We both love sports. And through the highs and lows of life, you guys have been there. Might sound weird, but it's true. We have been longtime listeners. We shed some tears when you signed off the air and did a happy dance when you came back. While my husband shares Mike's love for Rush, I'll forgive him for that. We both share Brock's faith. You make one dynamic duo, Brock and Salk. You both come from unique backgrounds and are just great together. Your insight, perspective, and friendly banter keeps us coming back every day. That's oh, nice. we, wow. rem- we remember Maura's voice from John Clayton's show days and feel for her having to sit through Ranked, which we personally love. <laughs> Sorry, Maura. We love music, too. And Justin... We live vicariously through your single adventurous life. It's so far from our reality, yet fun to hear about. Awesome. Keep up the great teamwork. Wait, did you say single adventurous life? Yeah, I mean, I, I think <laughs> just non married is Thank what you. she means. Thank you. Thank I mean, you. just with respect. I didn't know, I didn't know if we were still thinking Betsy was invisible. No, like, I just thought maybe we were uh, still thinking Betsy was invisible. I mean, I sort know. of in between. Or invisible, not invisible. Us. <laughs> We get it. Non-existent. <laughs> and then and then finally, uh, from C Morioka 83, four-star review. I always am fascinated by the ones in the middle. Four-star review. Can't live with or without. Mike Salk is mostly unbearable. <laughs> yes, keep going. Hey. <laughs> He, I just, you know, this last person was all about our teamwork and how much, all right. He poses mainly meaningless arguments for, quote, deep thought too often. Doesn't side with anything in particular with these arguments. Can't predict or project anything with certainty for actual debate. And when he does take a direct stance about something, it's almost always wrong or ridiculous, like not even worth talking about. Overall, I listen to the show because Brock and Mora are legit. And salt can be okay at times. Oh, that's nice. But I have to take a break too often these days. So the question is, (laughs) is Mike Salk a good radio host? I don't know. You know, maybe he has good leadership skills. I don't think so. But the X's and O's are out the window. But what's more important for a host? Maybe both. No, I think one or the other today. Pendulum swing, pendulum swing. Maybe this thing's kind of getting off the rails here a little bit. Yeah, sounds like it. Maybe let's ask someone who might legitimately know the answer and argue with them as to why I don't think so based on absolutely nothing at all. Okay, now let's do something useful. It's called ranks. Yes. Okay. Snooze. So he brings good it around closer, at the end. Closer. All right. Uh, that's uh, where the podcast. I think that's a good endorsement for ranks. Yeah, right? uh, it's a little all yeah. over the map, but that's okay. That's, hey, so is ranks. So is ranks. So point. there you go. All right. Uh, that's where we're at. If you would like to uh, download, subscribe, etc., you can do that at Apple or Google or wherever else you can find podcasts. Or just go to SeattleSports.com or the Seattle Sports app and uh, start listening that way because it's uh, really easy. We can do it wherever you are, at the gym, in the car, wherever. We got you any time of day. All right. Uh, let's come right back. We'll give you everything you need to know, including the Mariners making life hell for one of their players. That's next on Brock and Salk. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. You know, I kind of thought we might find out about a coach yesterday. I didn't realize they were in Baltimore uh, to meet with McDonald. I thought he was coming here. Now that you know that info, it makes sense. But today certainly could be the day they did meet with McDonald. So now they've 
chatted with everybody they had hoped to during this process. Raheem Morris is off the board yesterday. Ben Johnson and Bobby Slowick claim they both withdrew their names from consideration to stay at their respective jobs. So that leaves McDonald, Quinn, Averro, Kafka, and Graham. One of those five will likely be the next head coach of the Seahawks. My gut says it'll be Dan Quinn. My head says they waited this long so they could hire McDonald. But... I think I actually want it to be Ajiro Avero. The leadership, the presence, both seem to be off the charts. All of that being said, well, <laughs> if they do end up going with Patrick Graham or maybe even Mike Kafka, I think it'll be a sign that one of those guys just totally blew them away in the injury in the interview process. Uh, New York's Dan Graziano, who's with ESPN, said, "Hey, don't leave Kafka off the list," as I did yesterday when I was assembling this need to know. They did a bunch of second interviews last week. Guys like Patrick Graham, Dan Quinn, Ejiro Evero, and Mike Kafka, the Giants' offensive coordinator, who I've been told by a couple of different people today as a guy to watch. Uh, as a possibility in Seattle. They were very impressed with him. So McDonald, a candidate in Seattle, a candidate in Washington. They can't both get him, uh, and we'll see how how it comes out of the interview today. But these situations should be wrapping up here, I think, by the end of this week. Yeah, I would certainly hope so, because, you know, you would like to move on. You'd like to have some level of, you know, John Schneider paying attention to the draft and everything else that's coming up, and uh, you'd like to find the rest of your coaching staff. So hopefully today, I would think at the latest tomorrow, we will finally determine who is going to coach the Seahawks team moving forward. Here's the second thing you need to know. A day after bringing in a full-time second baseman and a key part of the 24 lineup, the Mariners added another utility player in a small deal with Kansas City yesterday. They acquire Samad Taylor, who can play infield or outfield, but really his skill set is he can run. He's also got options, so he'll likely start in AAA, compete with another couple of recent signings, Cole Tucker from Pittsburgh, and they added Nick Solak, who's been around for a while with Texas, Atlanta, etc. All of those guys offer the same positional versatility and speed factor. So if I'm Sam Haggerty, this has been an awful week. That's three guys that all play my exact position, plus Cole Tucker or plus uh, Jorge uh, Polanco probably knocked me off the roster to begin with. Not a not a fun week for Mr. Haggerty. The team took another bullet yesterday, fired from a national reporter as Ken Rosenthal accused them of using the root sports debacle as an excuse to not spend. Is he right? Yeah, in some ways, I believe so. They should be taking, of this, taking advantage of the opportunity and also the opportunity costs of not increasing payroll and adding even more firepower this year is just so incredibly frustrating. On the other hand, did you guys hear Phil Mackey yesterday from Minneapolis tell us that the Twins were going from $159 million down to $115 the year after making the playoffs because of their RSN disaster? That's the last thing you want. Locally, Ryan Davis, who's been a consistent critic, Actually, kind of impressed with this lineup. I don't know what they got significantly better, but I look at the team and it has, a, I think, a greater potential to be better just because there's more positions that are a little bit better than they were before. Yeah, now if Jared goes out and hits 30-some homers for the Braves, and you're gonna, they'll probably regret it, but there was no guarantee that was going to happen. If you look at his numbers when we saw in the second half, that wasn't the case, and Suarez as well. So I, I'm pretty impressed with the, what they were able to do all things considered, with the limitations they were working with. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that and actually wrote about it last night. You can read it at seattlesports.com. Here's the third thing you need to know. Oh, ugly, brutal loss for the Kraken last night. Went to San Jose, who's in last place. Couldn't find a way to put the puck in the net against one of the worst teams in the league. Outplayed the Sharks for most of the game. 
but never really solved goalie Madison Blackwood, who's really good. They end up losing two nothing, and uh, just another brutal night for Matty Beneers. Watching him last night, he has not looked the same this season. A ton of bad turnovers last night. They're gonna have to sit and stew on that one for a few extra days as uh, they have now hit the All Star break. Oliver Bjorkstrand will be their lone rep in Toronto, and Michael Penix. Not only says he's healthy, he says he can prove it. Got uh, famed Dr. Neil Elitrash to give him the thumbs up and say that there is nothing holding him back. We will see if NFL teams agree. That's everything you need to know. Uh, we do a quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. Yeah, Neil Elitrash with uh, Curlin Job down in uh, down in L.A. One of the guys who helped originate and master the Tommy John surgery. So if you read Jeff Passan's book, Elitrash has a big role in that, as does James Andrews, as does Lewis Yoakam. They're sort of like the holy trinity of, uh, of big-time sports orthopedic doctors. Mm-hmm. And certainly all the work that all three of them did on elbow surgery, shoulder surgery, et cetera, is uh, highly noted. But they do more than that. They do knees. They do any sort of you know, uh, orthopedic work for athletes. And so to go see Neil Elitrash and have him be the guy who says, nope, you're good to go. No restrictions whatsoever. Thumbs up. You know, why not just write your own Dr. Shin style? Yeah. And that's a good, a good point, Justin. Like <laughs> if, if you, <laughs> that's a good point. There's a masterclass. It's been I mean, done. Maybe he wants this to feel a little more legit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that didn't feel legit. Yeah. I mean, I think Neil Elitrash probably going to carry a the little same, if bit not more better. weight than the, he might even be better than before he broke his finger. Which <laughs> I've is never seen anyone tackle. Yeah. Patently <laughs> absurd. Thank you for bringing that up, Justin. I had, I had briefly forgotten about Dr. <laughs> yeah. Shin, but that, cause, that does kind of make my day. Hey, uh, uh, KJ is going to be in the building today at 8 o'clock. I'm told we might have Ross Tucker at 730, but that's still up for debate. Uh, it's been a little mix up. I don't know. Something's <laughs> going on this week. And um, yeah, so uh, that's kind of where we're at. I've got a few questions here in the text machine. What about Ben Johnson? No, Ben Johnson's out. He uh, quote unquote removed himself from consideration for these last two jobs, which might mean he doesn't like the jobs. It might mean he wants more money. Or it might mean that he's not going to get either of the two jobs and his agent tried to uh, cover his butt by leaking a lot of info like that. I have no idea which of those three it is, but I think you got to at least consider the third option. Uh, Salk, what it mean here is if you get someone like McDonald, then at least one side of the ball is taken care of. I don't think that's true. Was the offense taken care of with Josh McDaniel? No. I mean, it yeah, just it doesn't point. quite work that way. I, they're, they're different jobs. Uh, what did I miss? Why is no one talking about Vrabel? I don't know. But the Seahawks, for whatever reason, didn't seem to have any interest in him. So uh, he has not been interviewed and does not appear to be on their list of candidates. So while he would have been one of my preferences, doesn't seem to be the direction that they're going to go. All right. Uh, as we wait for the Seahawks to make some sort of a move. And as we get ready for KJ a little bit later this morning, uh, Jerry DePoto joined us yesterday. He has remade his lineup off the top of your head. How many Mariner Mariner starting position players will be starting for them on opening day this year? How many starting position? Yeah, How many guys who started last year for them will be starting? I'm sorry. I didn't phrase it well. How many guys who started for them on opening day or throughout the year last year will be starting for them on opening day? Four. Four. That's absolutely right. Nice. Four. So more than half of the lineup will have turned over. Wow. And that doesn't include Dominic Canzone. Maybe you throw him in there or not. I don't you know. You said what, opening day. Right. But I, yeah, I mean, I don't assume he's the opening day guy. Maybe he is with a matchup or something. But you're going to probably return JP Crawford, Julio Rodriguez, Ty France, and Cal Raleigh. Yeah. That's it. The rest of your lineup will likely be new, right? 
At second base, you're going to have Polanco. That's new. Third base is going to be one of your third, third basemen. Regardless, they're new from last year's beginning of the year. Uh, in right field, it's probably going to be Hanniger. New. Left field's probably going to be Rayleigh. New. And uh, your DH is going to be Garver. New. Pretty crazy. That is. Right? I mean, the pitching staff's going to look pretty similar. But when you start going through the rotation or through the lineup, it's going to look really, really different. And I don't know whether it's significantly better. But I kind of like what Divish says there. It's a little bit better in all of those spots. And if Julio comes through, you can start writing a script. I'm not telling you it's uh, it's perfect. I'm not saying they're elite. I've made I've learned some of my lessons last year. But you can certainly write a script for how the offense will improve on what it did last year. And the pitching is really, really good. So stick around. You'll hear uh, Jerry's philosophy on it all. And the most important three words that he uttered this offseason next on Brock and Salk. This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports Station. And Brooke Warr, you are. And Brooke, you are. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming audio and video on the Seattle Sports app. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. We're only, what, two weeks away, basically, from the start of spring training, about 16 days, something like that, from four pitchers and catchers, and then a couple days after that, full squad, and then we'll be down there for the final week in February. We're looking forward to that. Mm. Mm. And a big move yesterday made by the Mariners, Jerry DePoto, joining us right now to discuss. Jerry, we haven't spoken to you in forever. How are you? Good morning. Good morning, guys. How's your, uh, how's your winter been? Busy. kind of kind of busy we've not had a coaching change in like 14 years so that is just uh that's new on the other side of the street and then it feels like jerry it's been a much more active off season for you guys certainly than maybe a few of the uh, off seasons prior Uh, we're always busy you know just trying to find ways to get better one step at a time and this uh this off season has probably been a little bit more of a winding path than than most before it but you know, I, I, we wake up and I like where we sit as we head towards spring training. How uh, how did this Polanco deal come to be? Uh, came to be, I would say, through sheer will on the part of Justin Hollander. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, this has been a long time in the making. We have had conversations with the twins about Jorge Polanco dating back to 2021. And, you know, we were finally able to get it across the, the line and, you know, a ton of credit to Justin for hanging in and constantly working the phone and having more conversations about how this could possibly come together than than is reasonable in any trade discussion. And, you know, in this particular case, it's a it's a player we just feel fits perfectly in what we're trying to do. What does that look like when you say just sheer force of will on Justin's part? When how many phone calls is hello, that? What, hello, who's there? Uh, yeah. Hollander on line one. Hello, I mean, like, what hello, are, who's what there? They, Hollander on line two. What do those conversations sound like? How many different types of proposals do you like? What does that mean? Oh boy, I can't even count the number of different uh, names and machinations that might have been uh, involved in this over time and, and through the years. Some players, frankly, that don't play for us anymore, and um, but were part of conversations back in 2021. And you know, in this particular instance, what does that mean? I would say probably no less than a hundred phone calls over the course of time, and and just sticking with it. And, you know, I, I've, I've had many conversations with some of the leaders from the Twins, and, and fortunately, Justin has a wonderful relationship with, with some people in the Twins front office, and, 
And I think on this one, relationships won out. They just kind of stuck with it until the ice broke. How would you characterize the move, the movements of the entire league this off season? Uh, you know, it's been, it's been a weird, uh, it's been a weirdly active off season, despite the fact that there's still quite a few free agents, you know, still out there looking for, for work. And, and I suspect it's going to be a very active two, three weeks leading into spring training because of that. Let's get back to Polanco here for, for a moment. What is it that has attracted you guys to him for so long? You know, he, he does all of the things that we value very highly. He is He manages the strike zone well. He's always been uh, an on-base threat. He has power. He's been a 30-home run hitter in a, in a really – a difficult ballpark to hit. Um, you know, it's Minnesota is not naturally among the the best places in the league to hit. He's virtually split neutral from the left and right side. He has power from both sides, hit the ball hard, has some hit ability and feel to move it around the field. Uh, he's uh, it's, he has on rates been about as good as, as a second baseman in our league has been over the last three or four or five years you know, based on on-base slug, OPS, you know, WRC plus, you know, put him in, put him in the, the the conversation with some of the better performers at his position in the league, and, and he's done it in a town where you don't get a ton of attention. So, you know, as a result, maybe he's not a household name for many people, but we think he's a really good player. I know Justin had mentioned the injury history, and you guys have done done your homework on that in in you know big big ways. How would you kind of look at maybe his previous few years and some of the injuries and the, and the bug that has bit him there and what that could project to here moving ahead? Uh, you know, I mean, I guess it, past injury certainly it projects to concern for future injury. But if you play the game for long enough, you're going to have an injury history. That's just the way it goes. And, and Jorge's 30 years old. He is in tremendous physical condition. We don't think the the injuries that he's dealt with, particularly hamstrings, are particularly ominous as we move out into the future. And and the bigger issues that he's dealt with, they've, they've been effectively taken care of uh, in, in the past. And we have no reason to believe that, that he won't show up in post because, you know, while last year was a fractured season for him and playing time, he finished strong. And that was more the anomaly. You know, it, typically he's a guy that posts and gets out there and, and does his work. And do I understand he's got a pretty good workout partner in Tampa that he trains with? Is that true? Well, he's got a good team of workout partners. He hits with Julio um, and among others. And it's a, it's a star-studded cast that hit together in Tampa during the, the winters. And, and Jorge's among them. And, you know, I, I imagine that, that the relationship that he's developed with Julio over time is going to be a benefit as he – as he joins our clubhouse and, and we've always received tremendous feedback on, on the type of person he is, his leadership qualities, just general work ethic and positivity. So you know, really excited to put him with our group. Have you talked to Julio much this off season? And, and I had told uh, Justin Amora to not let me get through this interview without making me or reminding me to ask you about him. Cause I think he, he, for whatever reason, as we focused on what the team is doing in general, We've almost forgotten to talk about the next steps for Julio and how he can continue to put this team on his back over the next few years. Where do you think Julio's at coming into this season? 
you know, I have. I've, I've, I've spoken with him. I spent some time with him, and uh, I, I'm thrilled with where he is. And I know more recently, you know, Scott had an opportunity to visit with him down in Tampa just a, a couple of weeks ago. And he is in a tremendous place. I, I think right now Julio is focused on, on the right things. He's, he's focused on, on taking that next step as a player. Maybe most importantly, he's focused on taking that next step as a team leader, which is an exciting thing is, uh, you know, watching him mature as a, as a person and as a player uh, over these last couple of years has, has really been fun. And, and my sense in spending some time with him this off season is that he is really, you know, chomping at the bit to take the next step and, and be, you know, a, a, a center point in a clubhouse. And, and I think that's a, you know, that's a big thing for, for such a young player, but he's, he has accomplished so much in his time in the league. And, and I think his teammates respect both what he does on the field and how he prepares. And, and I'm excited to see what that next step looks like for him. Hey, if we were to back up a couple of months to the beginning of your off season and start, you know, if we were in your meetings as you guys were preparing your goals, here's what we want to accomplish over the course of the next few months before we get to spring training what were your goals and and how did you set about accomplishing them uh you know i we're our mantra this off season was just find a way find a way to get better and you know however that that exists uh we we did not want to move off of our starting pitching uh we really believe in that group and you know we managed to get to this point and, and we've not touched it and i think that's that's exactly where we hope we'd land. And I think we got better. We found a way, um, you know, we wanted to string out a longer lineup. We wanted to create depth and options and alternatives. And I, and I think we've managed to do that. Um, you know, I, I, I feel very confident in saying that, that the lineup, depth one through nine, any given day, the impact from both the left and right side, the, the track records, we just have, there's more predictability to our offense than there has been in, in quite some time. And, you know, we did slightly, if ever, uh, improve our contact rates. And I think that's naturally going to get better as some of our younger players, you know, continue to grow. And, you know, while we did open up a hole in our bullpen with this last trade, I feel like by and large from the starting five to the back end of our bullpen, with Brash and Mooney and Spire, I feel like we're in really good shape uh, across our 13-man pitching staff, and and I've never been more confident in the depth and and complete look of an offense as this one. Does it feel like Jerry from from our purview here? It feels like 29 other teams in baseball doing similar to you guys, where they're holding on to their strengths, holding on to their young difference makers, holding on to, hey, this is who we are. And, and you know, maybe 10 years ago, we were more willing to move some of these pieces. Does it, at least from my seat, does it feel like 29 other teams have taken some of that same strategy as you guys have? Uh, I, you know, I don't know if it's really changed through the years. It's uh, teams have, have generally always shown a preference to to, to build around a core, and, and that core is almost always going to be comprised of young players or players that came through your system, and and then you build around it. And you know, some teams get more aggressive in in one area of player acquisition than another. You know, we we have our niche, and we we lean into it, and that's what we do. 
You know, I, I think about uh, you just say opening up a hole in the bullpen with the Topa trade, and I'm sure it was difficult for you guys to give up on on Justin after what he did last year and coming off of giving up on Paul. Not that you wanted to give up either guy, but had to in order to make the deals you made. What does that look like to try to replace some of that productivity, especially in the leverage you know portion of your bullpen? Oh, we're very confident, like I said, and and those three guys that man the back end, and you know Mooney and Brash and and Gabe Spire, who very quietly had an awesome year for us last year. You know, we've got our bullet, our our pivot man, and, and Sauce, and I think that group is is you know we're, they are both experienced in the back end, and they are coming off good years, all four of them. And, and, you know, the challenge now exists to find a way of taking that group and matching it up with the guys that give us a little more length, you know, the Trent Thorntons and the Austin Bots. That's a, in the, in between there, we have a variety of big power arms that we've picked up this off season. Guys like Carlos Vargas. Uh, we, we have Perlander Barroa and house Jackson Coar. We've picked up a, a couple of guys on small deals through the course of the winter that we're excited about. And we've generally done very well in this area. And, you know, somewhere among Vargas and Coar and Baroa and Butri and Kribal, and we are, we are going to turn up something of a gem. Uh, we've always been able to do that. And I'm very confident in our pitching people and in the arm talent that each of those guys brings to the table. Just on that same subject, what about sort of the starting depth? Where, where are you guys at with start? Cause I know when, Di Sclafani was brought in. That was part of the thinking there. What what does that now look like? Yeah, you know, I think while it takes a ding moving Tony out the door, he's he was by far the most experienced of of the the next group of starters we had after our front five. You know, we still have Austin Bob who has done a really nice job of bouncing between the the rotation and the bullpen. And and when given an opportunity to start, he's actually been, you know, quite effective as a major league pitcher. And uh, he's he's in that mix, uh, probably gonna line up as our swing man to start the season if if everybody's healthy. Uh, similarly, we stretched out Trent Thornton, who has a history as a starter, and you know we're going to give him the opportunity to come in and and showcase his ability to provide length. Uh, we've got a healthy Emerson Hancock coming back for the start of spring training, which is a real positive. You know, we've got the reliable strike throwers like a Tyson Miller and a Darren McCacken, who are lined up uh, to start in AAA. And, and I feel like we're in pretty good shape there, you know, to, to start the season feeling like your depth chart in the starting rotation is, is at least 10 deep. You're going to use, you know, nine to 12 guys in a blink. So having, having those guys at the ready, I feel like there's a next wave, you know, there's a couple of, of younger pitchers who are going to start the season in double A who are very high on guys like Reed Van Scoder and Jimmy Joy. So we feel like can really help out. I love that mantra, find a way. As you said that, I wrote down the name Mitch Hanniger. How big a deal was getting Mitch back in the fold for both the clubhouse, the organization, and just his leadership? Yeah, it was fun. And uh, I was maybe the the most pleased I've been all off season was, was hearing how pleased he was uh, with the idea of coming back. So uh, it's, uh, I think it is good for our young players. It's good for the guys who've been in the clubhouse with Mitch because they know what his preparation and, and diligence, the, it, Mitch takes it seriously. Uh, and I think that's something that, that really it helps our clubhouse. And it was a void that we were missing last year. So, um, you know, it's, I think in that way, it's a real positive. 
I'm also pretty confident that a healthy Mitch Hanniger makes us a lot better offensively. And, you know, right now he's in a good place. I can't wait to see where he's at. He's already down in Peoria working out and then ready for the start of spring training. So excited to see what he looks like on the field as well. I think of everything you've said in the last 15 minutes, that's probably the least surprising thing, that he's already there getting ready, training, <laughs> making sure he's on top of it. That's like the most Mitch Hanniger thing I could imagine. Jerry, uh, we uh, appreciate you taking the time today. It's kind of a it's kind of an interesting offseason. It doesn't look like some of the others we've seen here, but excited to see what it looks like when we get down to Peoria and see what it uh, how it plays out on the field. So thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. You got it, guys. That's Jerry DePoto, who uh, joined us yesterday in order to uh, talk through the deal that they had just made to bring in Jorge Polanco and kind of everything they've done this offseason. I haven't really spoken to Jerry since uh, the end of last offseason or last season when we kind of went through his uh, ill-timed and ill-fated comments at the end of the year. And, and, you know, look, you start thinking about this team this year. I am promising you one thing. I will not. I will not guilt you, yell at you, tell you you're crazy if you're unimpressed. I'm not going to do that. I made that mistake a year ago. I've learned my lesson. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen this year. But I can write you a script where things look a little a little rosier than some folks are willing to admit right now. Doesn't mean this team's going to be great. Doesn't mean they're elite. And there's some really big ifs that I think are still haunting them. Certainly the ifs around health is going to be a giant one. Depth in their starting rotation is going to be another. Bullpen, as of right now, has gone from a strength to a big old question mark. So they're not perfect. No team is. But they're especially not perfect. But their lineup, it's not as bad as you think it is. I know that sounds like a really, really lame, optimistic way of looking at it. But I asked you guys this question last night on our text thread because it shocked me, even though I guess I knew the answer when I looked it up just to make sure yesterday. Where did the Mariners rank last year in terms of offense? 12th. 12th in baseball. I'm willing to bet if I asked 100 random Mariner fans who were on the text machine, et cetera, hey, where did the Mariners rank last year in terms of offense? I'm going to guess the most common answer would be around 20th. It wasn't. It was 12th. It was imperfect. It was problematic at times. It certainly failed to do a lot of the little things that you want it to do and driving in runners from third and bases loaded, no outs, and some of the problems that they clearly had, the strikeouts, all of it. But they were 12th, not 20th. They might be a little bit better this year. Not a lot better. They're not dramatically better, but they're deeper. And you heard Jerry say that they have fewer major holes in their lineup than they did last season. They don't have Teoscar Hernandez. They don't have Eugenio Suarez, two guys who are very boomer bust, could hit a lot of home runs, take a bunch of walks, but also are going to strike out a lot and frustrate you at times. But they've replaced those guys with similar or arguably better players, with Mitch Garver, with Jorge Polanco. And if those guys are healthy, and Mitch Hanniger, throw them on the list as well. If those guys are all healthy, that should be a really good thing for this team. Ty France last year, they were counting on to hit in the top three. Ty France this year, you're probably looking at hitting in the bottom third of your order. Those are improvements. It doesn't mean that you're going to be elite, but they are real. 
And at the heart of all of it is what I said to Jerry, like Julio's still going to be the biggest X factor of this team because he's their best player by leaps and bounds. And if Julio shows up and has an elite Julio season, last year was good, the but not season. elite. You're going to do something given the pitching that you have. So look, there's there's health. There's all of these different question marks and concerns. It's supposed to be that way right now. And I'm not, I'm not telling you that they did enough or that this is an A off season because I, I, I'm right there with you. Ownership should have spent more. They should have committed more. They should be more all in. But I can, again, I can write you a script. And I think a lot of that has to do with what Jerry and Justin did this off season. I wrote about the three words that he uttered there. Cause I think they're important. Find a way, just find a way. I think that's Jerry's way of saying, Hey, I got saddled with kind of a mess here, but we got to find a way because sitting around feeling sorry for yourself isn't good enough when you're the president of baseball operations or the general manager or anybody in baseball ops. You're given the budget you're given. And thankfully, theirs didn't go from 159 to 115 like it did in Minnesota. It stayed about even right in the you know sort of mid 140s. Is that perfect? No. Would they be a better team if they spent 180 million? Yes. 160 million, 100. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, and yes. Mm-hmm. Go out and buy a couple more relievers. Go out and buy one or two more players. Go out and buy Matt Chapman to play third base. Go out and buy Cody Belcher. Yes, a million times yes. Or go big and try to try to compete with the Dodgers and get Shohei. But given the parameters that Jerry had to work with, I think it's actually kind of a better team. And you heard a couple of guys say it yesterday. Here was uh, you want uh, let's see, you want Car- uh, Sean Casey. From MLB Network. I like this lineup. As I look at it, Luke Rayleigh from Tampa, this guy can rake. They got Hanniger back. Garver's in there, too. Like, when I look at this lineup now, get Polanco over there, at first you're like, man, they lost a lot of guys, you know, in that lineup from last year. I think they've pieced it together really nice, guys, to tell you the truth. I know they lost Suarez, Hernandez, Ford, uh, Kelnick's gone, and Wong, but look who they've got in there. they got Polanco in there now, right? Mitch Garver comes over from Texas, yep. right? Luke Rayleigh, that guy flat out rakes. I like to see him. They got Hanniger back, so they have some guys. They have some thump in that lineup. It's better than you think. It's better than you think. I think that's a really nice way of looking at it. I'm not saying you telling you it's perfect or elite, but I think the lineup's going to be better than you think. And I don't know if you read Ken Rosenthal's column yesterday because he absolutely ripped Mariner ownership, but in it he pointed out that you've got five pitchers in the top 42 in baseball. Five of the top yeah. 42 on one rotation, including I think it's like numbers 5, 7, and 11. Like, yeah, this rotation's going to be elite. And if the offense can be a little bit better than last year, what if it's top 10? What if you end up with a top three D, uh, pitching staff and a top 10 offense? I don't think this is a fair question to ask, but you play this last year's opening day lineup versus this year's 10 times. Do you think this year's team could win more games? I think, uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Let me think about that a little bit. I think the projections are going to say yes, mm-hmm. but I don't know whether I think that or not. I have to kind of dig that's into a, that a little bit. That's not an easy immediate question. Yeah, I can't answer that one off the top of my head. All right, let's take a quick break. You guys can read the uh, column. goes into a lot more depth on this. That's up at seattlesports.com. Apparently, John Schneider flying through the day and working through the night. What does he come up with? Brock's in next. It's Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710.